0: Beginning, We're in this message series we're calling Awaken, and really the message series is designed to encourage us as we strive to have a spiritual awakening in our own life, and as also as we move to specifically pray uh, for people in our own community. As we think about a place like, like China, we think, you know, that certainly is a culture that needs, needs the gospel, but this culture needs the gospel as well. And so the one thing we can do is, is pray. And I hope you'll help us with this. If you haven't taken one of the packets, I hope you'll take one today and begin fervently praying. I think prayer is the thing that we can do. You know, there are times when we feel like we can't do anything. My, my son, uh, Trey, is wrestling. And Jana and I, as, as we go and watch him wrestle... You know, we're trying our best to help him as he is entwined with his other person, as he is wrestling with his other person. We're sitting there on the side, you know, watching him, and it's like, it's like we're wrestling. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's like we're sitting there, I mean, moving and, and hollering and trying our best to be involved in what he is doing. But we know we really can't help him. Prayer is not like that prayer is something we can do to seek the face of God on behalf of others. And so we're praying for an awakening. We're praying that men and women will open their hearts to the gospel and that we will be awakened and that we will have an opportunity to share the message with those with whom we come. In contact, and so I've wanted us to work out of this this chapter in the Bible. That's one of the most familiar chapters. It's my favorite chapter. If you if you said, Kevin, what's what's the one chapter in the Bible that, that you're, that's your favorite? Psalm 23 is a great chapter, but Luke 15 in the New Testament, it's got to be my favorite chapter because it is the gospel within the gospel. And I want us to speak the next uh, spend the next few weeks working out of Luke 15, looking at these incredible stories that are told as, as we seek to come before God and let him awaken us uh, to the need to, to share this message of, of Christ. If you're familiar with Luke 15, you know it's really, it's really about three stories, three interesting stories that Jesus tells. But really, the first two verses in Luke 15 set the stage for what happens in these next three stories. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, here is what Jesus, or what Luke says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's really the story behind the story. And if you think about it for a moment, there are three groups or three individuals that are mentioned in these first two verses. The first person is Jesus. And it says that a group of people are gathering around Jesus to hear him teach. The fascinating thing about Jesus was he was this amazing teacher. He was an amazing teacher for a number of reasons. He was this incredible teacher because... He was so relevant and so current one of the things I love about Jesus as I as I read the Gospels closely is I see that he's talking about the stuff that we're dealing with and so if you read closely the Sermon on the Mount for instance he talks in there about issues like like anger do we ever struggle with anger I mean anybody ever struggle with anger don't touch the person sitting next to you just leave leave them alone it, at this point, they'll become angry probably. Or he talks about, he talks about lust and adultery. Is that, is that something we struggle with in our culture? He talks, about, he talks about divorce. Every person in here more than likely has been touched in some way by divorce. He talks about keeping your word and, and on and on it goes. Jesus was this fascinating teacher because he was current, because he talked about the things that we're talking about. He dealt with the issues that we deal with. But Jesus was also a fascinating teacher, not because of what he taught, but also because of how he taught. He used stories and parables and humor and figures of speech. He he used the language in such a, a wonderful and powerful way. So here we have Jesus, and he's teaching And now we're introduced to the second group of people. There is this group called the tax collectors and sinners. And the word I would use to describe this group would be outsider. These people are outside the religious establishments. And the fascinating thing is, all through Jesus' life, the outsiders, those who who are not insiders, those who are not part of the religious establishment, they're constantly drawn to Jesus. And Jesus is, spends a lot of time with these folks. He's eating with them. He's spending time with them at their parties. Think about this. The first person to whom Jesus openly revealed himself as Messiah was a Samaritan woman who had this history. She'd been married five times, and the person she was living with was not her husband. When Jesus begins his ministry, what does he do? He, he sees a long line of sinners. They're they're out in the Judean desert, and they're being baptized by John the Baptist, just sinner after sinner after sinner. Jesus sees this long line of sinners, and you know what he does? He gets in line with them, and they're baptized. And amazingly, Jesus steps up to be baptized. And, And John the Baptist was blown away. He really didn't know what to do, and and Jesus says, it's right for me to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. We know Jesus was not a sinner. He was the only person to ever walk this earth, never to commit sin. Yet what does he do? He gets in line with the sinners. He's baptized to identify with us who are sinners. He steps knee-deep into the waters of baptism, telling us to identify with you, our baptism is that moment when we identify with him. And then, at the very end of his life, Jesus is on the cross, and and who's next to him? Sinners on his right and on his left. And one of the sinners he pardons this common, ordinary thief. Jesus was constantly around those we would describe as sinners. At the very end of this chapter, Luke chapter 14, right before 15, where we're in today, right after Luke chapter, or right right at the end of Luke chapter 14, Jesus teaches them what it means to be a disciple. And in the very last verse of 14, he says, whoever hears, has ears to hear, let them hear. And now, in Luke 15, it says, the sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus. But here's the third group. This is what we would call the insiders. These are Pharisees and teachers of the law, religious insiders. Now, who are the Pharisees? Let's be careful we're not too hard on these folks. The word Pharisee literally means separated one. Who are the Pharisees? This was a, a sect of the Jews. This was a, a group of folks who were largely in charge of the synagogues. It was a very large group. Uh, Josephus tells us there were some six, 7,000 of them. These were folks who were interested in being right. They were very concerned about reading and keeping the Torah. They were interested in pleasing God so much so that they separated themselves from the culture. They separated themselves from anyone they thought would defile them fascinating thing is Jesus' strongest critique and criticism in Scripture is in Matthew chapter 23 where he's critical of these Pharisees. So imagine what's happening. Jesus is teaching and the religious outsiders, the sinners, are gathering out to hear him. And the Pharisees, the religious insiders, are all watching this transpire. And what are they doing? They're they're muttering under their breath. They're talking loud enough for others, for Jesus to hear, and they say, this man. They can't even bring themselves to say Jesus' name. This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. You see, the religious insiders had missed the point. These are the people who should have been most excited that the outsiders are flocking to Jesus. But they've missed it. The fascinating thing is, the more unsavory the character, the more at ease they seem to feel around Jesus. Have you noticed this? Prostitutes, lepers, tax collectors, someone who at one point had seven demons inside her, all of these people, they're drawn to Jesus like a magnet. But in striking contrast, the more respectable, the more pious the more religious types. Well, they gave Jesus a chilly reception at best, and at worst, they tried to kill him. The irony is, now Now, church seems to attract the more respectable types, the very sort of people who were the most suspicious of Jesus while he was on earth. And so I wonder, how did this reversal happen? Philip Yancey asked the question like this, Why don't sinners like being around us? That's a sobering question. Yancey, in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, he tells a story about this man who is doing inner-city ministry. And this young man was encountering things he had never seen or experienced before, and the level of depravity that that he saw was was really troubling to him he, he met this young this woman who had a little daughter and this woman in order to fund her drug habit would rent her little daughter out to men to do unspeakable things with he didn't know what to do or what to say and at, at some point this young man who's doing the inner sitting ministry he's having a, a conversation with this young with this lady And he said to this very mixed-up sinful woman, have you ever thought about going to the church for help? And she said to him, why would I ever go there? They just make me feel worse than I already do. And so I wonder, do religious insiders... People like us, people like me. Do we sometimes interact with people in such a way, outsiders in such a way, that instead of them experiencing the healing balm of grace, do, do they experience does their experience with us make them feel even worse have, have we missed the point point? and so this week as i've been thinking about luke chapter 15 1 and 2 and as i've been thinking about jesus and his interaction with all sorts of people as i've been thinking about how jesus ministered to and cared for those who were far far away from from god it's made me ask the question have we missed the point in some ways and if we have how have we and a couple of things came to my mind. It seems if we're not careful, we, we might miss the point regarding the Scriptures. See, those who were muttering were Pharisees and teachers of the law. They knew their Bibles. And this is a great thing. These Pharisees and teachers of the law, they'd memorized large sections of Scripture. And you know me well enough to know I'm, I'm for Bible memory. They could tell you the creation story found in the book of Genesis. They could describe for you and plot out the life of of Moses found in the book of Exodus. They could list the various laws found in the book of Leviticus. They could talk about the major themes found in Numbers. They could show you the history of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. They had tons of information, just not a lot of transformation Jesus at one time was having a conversation with these religious leaders in John chapter 5, and this is what he said You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have eternal life. You see, we're not saved by believing the Bible but by trusting the Christ that's revealed in the Bible. We can profess faith without truly possessing faith. The point is not knowing the Scripture. The point is knowing the Christ in the Scripture. And if you truly know Jesus, friends, you're going to be different. If we truly know the Lord... Jesus is going to change how we look at the world, how we look at people, how we look at ourselves, how we look at our eternity. You see, they would missed the point. They knew the Scriptures. They did not know Jesus. And so we need to be very careful that we might miss the point. If in all of our study and in all of our memory and all of our understanding of Scripture, it doesn't make us people more like Jesus then we've certainly missed the point. We need to be careful because we might miss the point about holiness. You see, the Pharisees thought holiness was about the exterior, about external actions instead of the internal condition of the heart. They looked holy, extremely holy. But on the inside, it was another story. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were about perception and image They could not imagine being with and eating with sinners. I mean, what would others think after all? Birds of a feather flock together. I mean, what kind of an influence on their lives would it be if they're spending too much time with these people who are far, far from God? Their separation led to isolation. And as a result, they had no ministry impact. But Jesus had a much different approach to life. I I like what Jesus said about righteousness and holiness. It's found in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The, the theme verse is Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. And Jesus says there, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we hear this and wonder, what did he mean exactly? And as, as the religious leaders, as the disciples even, as they heard Jesus say this in Matthew 5 verse 20, it would have stunned them because they knew how meticulous and rigorous the Pharisees were with regard to righteousness. I mean, they would tie it down to the little bit of mint, dill, and cumin. I mean, they were very, very concerned about doing things right and, and being right. And yet Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, He helps them to understand that they they were missing the point regarding holiness and righteousness. They were dealing with peripheral kinds of things. They were dealing with external kinds of things. And so in Matthew chapters 5 and 6, Jesus gives us case study after case study after case study. And so He says, well, you think it's really about about murder. And I hear you saying you thou shalt commit murder well that's a good thing and and you all look around at each other and kind of smile and say hey at least i haven't killed him and and you think you're doing well he said but but down in the deepest recesses of your heart you're filled with a lot of anger and hatred and thoughts of revenge and that's where jesus wanted to work and as the old preacher says at this point jesus had gone from preaching to meddling because that's what Jesus dealt with, not this periphery, not, not the external, but he wanted to talk about what's deeply in the heart. They, they would stay, and they would say to one another, we know the Scripture says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, that's great. I, I've never been with another woman physically other than my wife. I, I feel really good about that. And Jesus says that yet if you look at another woman lustfully, if you have lust in your heart and, and, and desires in your heart that don't bring glory to God, I, I, I want to talk. About that, Jesus was teaching a deeper kind of righteousness. A righteousness is from the inside out. And so he says this in Mark chapter 7 and verse 20 where Jesus is once again talking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He says, what com- comes out of a person defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart. That evil thoughts, sexual immorality, uh, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, all these things come from inside and defile a person. They'd missed the point. They smugly looked around at one another and thought, we look spiritual, we look righteous. And he's saying, what's going on in your heart? One more thing, they'd missed the point about people. Why was Jesus spending time with lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors? It's because he loved people and he knew they needed healing. Imagine a weird world where before you can be admitted to a hospital, you have to have a clean bill of health. Imagine where where doctors won't see you if you're sick because, you see, they're afraid of contracting the disease that you have. So they keep an arm's length distance from you. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was once again being criticized by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He was being criticized for being too open, too accepting. He was spending too much time with the religious outsiders. And so Jesus looked at them and he says this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not Not sacrifice, where I've come to call, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This week I've been wrestling with this question have we learned this? Do we understand that Jesus desires mercy, not sacrifice? It's the kind of people Jesus wants us to be people who are full of mercy. As the old saying goes, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Hospitals are are full of sick people. Churches are full of sick people. Have we missed the point? And the amazing thing, a lot of times we all walk around acting like we're not sick, acting like we we don't have any problems or don't have any struggles. And if we're not careful, we we put on this Pharisaic external... Somehow we think churches are for the well. I've had conversations as well as you probably. You've invited a friend or neighbor to come and be with church, uh, be with you at church, and somehow they feel like they can't come because they're not good enough. And they misunderstand what church is for. Sometimes we get things backward. We somehow think the church is all about us. And so instead of being cross-shaped disciples of Jesus... We let the world disciple us and turn us into finicky religious consumers. And we become full of critique and criticism. I know this is true because I do it too. I want church like I want church. But if I'm, if I'm not careful, I'm going to become like the Pharisees. I'm going to miss the point and we start to develop churches that are for us. We think churches about us. So I was listening to, to Francis Chan, and Francis Chan was talking about how sometimes we miss the point in regard to, to spiritual leadership. And he says we forget what elders and ministers are for. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 says we're to equip the saints for works of ministry. And yet, and he said, so we need to think of ministers like personal trainers, not massage therapists. I mean, think about that for a second, isn't it right? That's what, that's what ministers and elders, we're personal training. We're training and equipping others for works of ministry. We send out others into the world, yet we somehow think the church is here. It's here for us. I love what Erwin McManus said. It's my favorite quote. He says, we often think that church is here for us. We need to remember we are the church, and we're here for the world. That last phrase is amazing. We are here for For the world, we are men and women who've come into the presence of God. We've embraced the Gospel. We've experienced that spiritual awakening and quickening. We come together on the Lord's Day to hear a word from God, to be inspired, and then sent out into the world to reach and bless others. The Pharisees, they missed the point. They were upset with Jesus because Jesus spent too much time thinking about spending time with Sinners with outsiders. He was welcoming and eating with sinners. And sinners in the ancient world, when you had a meal with somebody, it implied much more than just getting enough calories to live. It implied something about fellowship and acceptance. So when they saw Jesus at table with sinners, they, they didn't understand. You see, they didn't realize you can be accepting without being approving. Jesus spent time and accepted Zacchaeus. But he didn't approve of Zacchaeus' dishonesty. In John chapter 8, this beautiful story of this woman who's caught in adultery, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the the spiritual insiders, didn't love her and bless her and honor her. Oh, no, no, they were using her as a spiritual pawn. And they brought her to Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus wasn't going to have any of it. Jesus wasn't going to come with a condemning spirit. That's not how he operated. One by one these religious leaders they they left and finally it's just Jesus in the presence with this guilty woman. She had committed the sin. Though she'd been set up and used and manipulated, she she'd committed the sin. And Jesus asked her, Where are those who condemn you? And then he said to her, I I don't condemn you either. And then he looked at her and said, Now leave your life of sin. He led with grace but he spoke the truth. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. And that's what Jesus himself did. One of my favorite descriptions of Jesus is that he was called a friend of sinners. We find that in Matthew chapter 11. Think about that phrase, a friend of sinners... They loved being around Jesus. They longed for his company. If you you read the Gospels closely, you'll see that that Jesus came to the the earth, and when he did, the demons recognized him, the sick flocked to him, sinners doused his head and his feet with perfume. They loved him. Tax collectors threw this big party for him, and there Jesus was in their midst. But the religious, the, the insiders, they resented him for it. They missed the point The religious needed a spiritual awakening as well. And brothers and sisters, we need a spiritual awakening too. And so what I'm saying is the most important thing we can do is at least take the step to pray. And so during the next few weeks, during the next few weeks, would you join us as we begin to pray for those who are far from God? my prayer is that we will be friends of sinners not that we water down who we are but when people look at our lives they would see something distinct about us because we're living for God but we're loving people passionately just like Jesus